I'm Kat. And I'm Gabe. And we're the, the Ghouls Next Door. Yeah. yeah. Talk about that spooky stuff. We're we, talking normal. Oh, we are talking normal. And we're talking about representation. Talk about rezep, represent, baby. It's <laughs> good. That was good. Yeah. Uh, and today we're talking uh, specifically about mental illness. And we've we've touched about the touched on this many times. Yes. In our uh, outrage. <laughs> yes, it does come up, but it's something that you know needed its own episode. And like we're doing for this whole series is that we are inviting people on. So it's not just us kind of up on our soapbox talking about it, right? We want to invite people who have a unique perspective and and a valid perspective, right? <laughs> As well. Uh, and today we have Marina. Welcome. Welcome. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Thank you for joining us in our podcast layer. Glad to be here. It's a cool layer. I like it. Yeah. Why don't you tell our listeners a bit about yourself? Cool. Yeah. I am Marina Fredera. I'm actually a co-worker of CAT. Yeah. Um, I'm the trauma and curriculum specialist at Sunrise of Philadelphia, Inc., an after-school program serving K-12 students in Philadelphia. And I've been involved with education for a long time since I first came to Philly in 2009. So former Philly school teacher, um, after school teacher. Then I did some teaching of teachers in like professional development. And yeah, I know a lot about education and trauma as well. Yeah, which is valid. That's why you're here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So listeners listen when she tells you stuff. Mm-hmm. She's a teacher, so she's going to do that thing where they clap once, and they're like, now you clap once. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're going to do to make sure you guys are paying attention. There will be a test at the end. <laughs> I'm all about assessment. Yes. <laughs> See if you guys learn so we can start making better films, because right now, let me just say that it's a bit of a trash, trash heap right now. There is, there is one good, and like probably others that were good. I feel like I've seen others that were good. The one that we're going to highlight was very good. Yes. <laughs> And then there were, like, a good amount of them that weren't and make us angry for many reasons that we will tell you later. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. think, I think what we've kind of seen in our representation series is that one of the biggest problems with the lack of representation is that when there is representation and they are villainizing these people, like, that's it, right? That's all we're seeing. This is the only perception of this type of person that we get, right? So when we villainize, like, the people of color or villainize people with specific, you know, jobs, right? And then that's all that people are, are seeing and being influenced by, then it, it, it will bleed into society and influence the way that we see them as well. But also the way that they see themselves, right? Like, the the whole point is, like... The real horror and the real tragedy here is that we are monsterizing mm. these people, mm-hmm. these communities. Yeah. And when you do that, you just take away their humanity. You take away, like, people feeling like they deserve to be loved, honestly, which is a big problem, specifically with this episode. But mm-hmm. it's, like, you know, normalized. And that's just kind of what we're going to pack um, today in this episode and hopefully influence some future filmmakers to do what... Um, Jennifer Kent did in Babadook. I'm pretty sure it's Jennifer. Mm-hmm. She did a check. good job mm-hmm. where others <laughs> oh, have yeah. not. So good of a job that it's like actually a horror movie I've seen because <laughs> I am 
actually afraid of most things and yeah. easily startled <laughs> and so my horror knowledge is like more in sort of like the classical like film history knowledge base so glad to bring that but Baba Duke top of my list of contemporary horror that I've seen yeah, yeah. so it's made it so uh, hear that person if you are reluctant to listen to the ghouls next door um <laughs> you do not have to love horror if anything you should just love like hearing about how media does what it does yeah and if it's doing a good job across every genre yeah across every media form platform yeah yeah put on those analysis goggles <laughs> we're gonna start flipping tables <laughs> mm-hmm talk about them um i'm gonna throw a fact out there for the inner the world yes uh and it might shock you <laughs> in that i feel like a lot <laughs> of people are like i don't right know anyone <laughs> these facts has will be unbelievable thing. please click for more information <laughs> yeah so <laughs> essentially approximately one in five adults in the u.s experience mental illness in a given year what that equals is 46.6 million people. Yes. That's a lot of people mm-hmm. experience mental illness in a given year. Mm. Yeah. So all these people out here like, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> like, it just it honestly baffles me mm-hmm. sometimes how that ends up translating into, like, media. Because mm-hmm. so many people experience some variety yeah. mm-hmm. of mental health issue, even if it's on the lighter end. Yeah. Or, like, a more severe end. It's just, like, it's out there. Yeah. And it's, I think there's just not enough, like, safe expression of this information. Like, mm-hmm. be it in mm-hmm. schools or workspaces. I mean, they're just recently making, like, burnout a medical mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. And taking you can, like, personal time, like, yeah. it's, it's more emphasized. Mental health days yeah. as a thing that yeah. people take, like, vacation days. and Yeah. Which yeah. is, like, a nice step in the right direction of trying to, like, better understand any sort of mental health issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, like, that was a big number. And I was just like, yeah. what? Well, when most people hear people. <laughs> mental illness, they immediately probably think of something like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or multiple personality disorder or something or DID, right? It's like they think these really big topics and they're like, me with anxiety, that doesn't count. And it's just like, yeah. no, hun. <laughs> yeah, does. it does. And I guess what they're also forgetting is that like, even if you have one of the bigger names mm-hmm. of you know mental health issues that are sensationalized yeah yeah. Maybe. They're, yeah yeah they're sensationalized like there are pl- countless people i know like a can can't even count on both my hands because there's too many that i know yeah that have one of the more severe mm-hmm. like mental health concerns and live more moderated lives and that like they're self-checking themselves yeah. and they're doing a lot of like in- introspection and like if anything, or just very like well informed. Yeah, like they really know themselves, and if they ever see themselves doing something they shouldn't be doing, or actively like checking themselves and making sure that like the people around them feel okay. Yeah. So like they're leading normal lives. They go mm-hmm. to work. Yeah. Usually they won't disclose that they have. Mm-hmm. 
they don't this have to. illness because yeah, they don't have to for legally. one, but also because of this big stigma. Yes. Against it in that like they're kind of painted as the big, big bad wolf. Mm-hmm. And I know when I was younger, I didn't really have a firm understanding of what bipolar disorder was only mm-hmm. later to find out that my mom had it mm-hmm. and like not understanding it at all. And then finally understanding it made me like under like forgive her for any bad thing that mm-hmm. had ever happened. Cause I realized like, Oh my goodness, mm-hmm. this isn't cause you don't like me. Yeah. <laughs> this is cause like you're going through a thing. You have a chemical imbalance. This yeah. Isn't, this is a physiological you. thing. <laughs> this is not like because of me. And this I was just not like, a choice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Oh, okay. <laughs> Did it feel yeah. kind of empowering? Kind of like, oh, I'm not imagining all this. There's a real thing going on here. Yeah, no, it was yeah. like life changing. I like woke up as a human and then realized a lot of my own stuff because like, you know, I have my own anxieties and like depression and all that other stuff. Like, yeah. you, but you hear all these scary words that make it seem like it's the worst thing in the world. If you mm. find out you have that, it's life ending. Yeah. And it's not. And I guess like that's like the biggest thing. If anything, if you take away from this episode is that like if you have a mental illness that like your life isn't over. Yeah. And there's a reason you feel that way because Mm -hmm. of that is what is constantly just being put out there. Um, And that like, it is challenging and you should feel valid in that. But it's like, I also hope that like people have like a safe space where they can go and like tell people about it. And it's not like, Oh, you, you're such a, you're such a lot. Big burden with misunderstanding Mm -hmm. friends midsummer, um, where (laughs) they're just like really rude about the fact that like you have a relationship with someone and you should be able to like share things that are upsetting you. Yeah, and it's like, and furthermore, it's like it's not even just that there's a substantial amount of people who have mental illness, right? It's also like there's a lot of misconceptions on like the violent nature that people Mm. perceive people with mental illness to have, Mm -hmm. right? Which is drastically, like, (laughs) manipulated and is untrue. Like, like, if anything, is one of the biggest problems that I have in media that represents mental illness is this, like, misrepresentation of violence in this very specific community. Yeah, um, specifically for mentalhealth.gov, only 3 to 5% of violent acts can be attributed to individuals living with a serious mental illness. Three to five percent. Which is yeah. a very small number. That's not 46.6 million. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's a lot less. <laughs> and that's like three that. to five of like all violent acts. Like yeah. Yeah. of all kinds. So it's just like, n- like not people who cannot blame mental illness are going around and just murdering people mm-hmm. to do that or to hurt people to do that. Yeah. And then the people who are actually mentally ill are odds are harming themselves more than anyone else. Or harmed by others. Yes. Like yeah. Far more than they'd be harming someone else. Yeah. 10 yeah. times more likely to be victims of a violent crime yeah. than the general population just because of like when you enter states where you aren't, in good ways, you're either entering situations that might be more stressful or you're associating with people for self-medication reasons yeah. that yeah. would be unsafe. Yeah. Or an easy target. Yeah. Because also that. you may not have all your capacities in a given moment yeah. or time period or, yeah. Marina, what are some of the 
some things like you've seen in film. So you said you you've watched some older things because sure. you're not super into to horror in the crazy way that we are. <laughs> but yeah. I'm sure you've seen some of the things. Oh yeah, just tell us about your experiences. Sure. Yeah. I think um, I, I'll like test how nerdy this show can go. Oh, <laughs> super nerdy. Cool. 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 I love it. Um, so when we think of kind of early film, I think of those old silent movies mm-hmm. and um, I think of The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Yes. And the main character, is, well, we learn, spoiler if you haven't seen. You're to be angry. Yeah, if you haven't seen the, one of the earliest films of film history, um... We learn that the narrator is A, unreliable, B, quote, criminally insane, which was mm-hmm. a real which is, which category. Yeah. So, like, we see that, you know, horror, like other genres, but especially because hor- horror is about atmosphere and you don't, there's less dialogue and it's all about the vibe and what things look like. So, mental health or these diagnoses become shorthand for kind of bigger symbolic things like evil or or bad guy or criminal um and that you know mirrored a lot of social political practices of the time that criminally insane was a a thing a legal term that was used back in the day um and it speaks to the fact that mental health is culturally specific so um it changes in definition over time, not just because we know more, but because what is defined as healthy is different in different mm, social yeah. contexts and different um, time periods. Something that might be seen as as diagnosed as multiple personalities might be seen as spiritual possession in other cultures and totally yeah. normal and yeah. just and and a good thing and sort of like seen as sort of a connection to bigger, more important, fulfilling things. Um there, I, I should have looked this up at one point, but there was there was a diagnosis for someone who was enslaved and ran away repeatedly, mm. and like that was a mental health disorder. Yeah, and why wouldn't you want to be here? Exactly, like, they just keep <laughs> running away. I don't. They just crazy, just yeah, crazy. There, yep. Um, and so um, and when we think about like women are also being made ill, uh, made hysterical, um, both like just because everyone said so and sort of through cultural understanding. And then also just what we understand about medical practices at the time, a lot of medicine did make people insane, did make people neurologically damaged. Mm -hmm. Um, We think of the level of quinine that people use when we think of the level of um, arsenic that was in medication. When we think of... Oh man, I'm thinking of the um, Pharmacological History Museum in New Orleans. Yeah, uh, everyone should go. Best five dollar museum you will ever go to. Um, Sounds really great, actually. <laughs> it's super cool, and they just basic they talk about medicine in the um, 17th and 19th century, and mm-hmm. the idea and just the literally every medical the idea was that medicine illnesses were so scary that you needed something really scary to treat it. Yeah. <laughs> so this was like the literal language that our tour guide used. Um, so that's why bloodletting was a really big thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, something really, you have to take drastic action. You gotta yeah. cut that blood out, get the, it like, out. Lobotomies. Leeches. Like- <laughs> you need them right now. And, yeah. um, and you know, just throw some quinine at that baby. You know, <laughs> it's, this is not okay. Um, so yeah, when we see, 
lack of understanding, certainly, but also just different understandings of the world. Um, like I was saying, there things that might be seen as mental illness in one context might be seen as either normal or to- or what caused it as something totally normal. So um, illness being a very subjective experience, um, like that's what culture shock is, right? I can be totally overwhelmed by something and then not okay and mentally unwell because of it, but it's literally the daily life of someone else. Yeah. So it's, it's, so I guess going back to your original question, movies, (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah, it changes over time. And, but the, the, the constant seems to be that it's used as shorthand for characters that are typically not the protagonist, though sometimes Mm -hmm. they are. Um, Usually the antagonist is like a really quick and easy way to symbolically vilify somebody. Um, Or shorthand to kind of like put the protagonist into a victimized situation. So sort of like um, someone who gets put in a a mental asylum, even Mm -hmm. though they're not supposed to be there or um, because of the time period. And like, I'm thinking of this, it's not horror, but a girl interrupted of just Mm -hmm. sort of women could be committed very easily for things that we now would not see as particularly insane or unwell, but a normal reaction to an extraordinary situation. So it's definitely historical, right? Um, It's something we've grown up hearing. Like how many haunted asylum like films do we have? Or um, even just uh, American Horror Story Asylum, which is going to get its own rant someday. Mm -hmm. Uh, It just has like, is just steeped in our fear of that. But what people don't realize like when you think about the fear of like the asylum right where like oh it's haunted because of these crazed mental patients blah 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 and it's just like no the real horror is what they were doing to those crazed mental Mm -hmm. patients right it's just like there are people in there who were being electroshock therapied who were being over medicated who um were being lobotomized or abused sexually and taken advantage of because they like who was it that and i wish i looked this up beforehand who like broke his like he made his career in like journalism because he like Geraldo Rivera yes. yep. Her, yep in Staten oh gosh, Island you know, yeah yes yeah and it evolved into real life horror story yeah and evolved into what is now like the the cropsy yeah like um tale of Staten Island and which is very real and yeah, th- those places are ruins and they still exist and they're still there. And yeah, it's really depressing. <laughs> and it's like, and that wasn't just in Staten Island. That was mm-hmm. happening all over. Anywhere yeah. there was like mental asylums, mm-hmm. that's where it was. And it was terrifying. Yeah. And I think that's like what we see a lot with like in films, but also just like with the history of asylums and mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, that like nowadays, there are lots of places that are safe spaces for I don't know if like everywhere, but Mm. that if you're experiencing any sort of like severe mental health Mm -hmm. problem that like you can go to for support and it, and it could just like kind of creates a fear of even seeking support because then you're not sure that you will be safe in those places. Yeah. Yeah. The, the mighties, which is like a website, um, has a mental health editor, Juliet Verizzi. I hope you're saying your name right. Sorry. She has a, an article titled How American Horror Story Profits Off Mental Health Stereotypes, which mm-hmm. is like, I was like, yes, finally, someone is hearing mm-hmm. me. <laughs> this, 
one more person recommends American Horror Story, I'm going to lose it. Um, but she uh, she says about this, the way horror films depict psych- psychiatry is such a big deal because these stereotypes Stereotypes don't stay confined to the film genre. People carry these stereotypes with them, whether they realize it or not, and it can have an effect on help-seeking behavior, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, while researching this episode, I found countless articles on mental health and horror specifically where it was about not only villainizing the people, but villainizing the ways that they would get help. Right. So like villainizing mm, yeah. psychiatrists and like, you know, if there is an asylum that was supposed to be it's a, an asylum, it's supposed to be like a mm-hmm. safe space. It's supposed to be a place you go to get help, <laughs> yeah. you know. And and so they make like you can't trust your psychiatrist like they're going to manipulate you. You can't like d- take the drugs because who knows what it is. Mm-hmm. And it's not like you should just get better. Mm-hmm. So like when they villainize like those paths and routes to get to health or to contain your health right then that makes people who have mental illness be like oh maybe i shouldn't mm-hmm. yeah and that's like from what you were just saying that you know that's historical that's mm-hmm. that's internal that's cultural memory and like more powerful in like particular communities particularly marginalized communities of just like an existence that is made insane in many ways yeah i think it's it's very scary i think Lots of communities have historical reasons for wanting to avoid the doctor. And this is just another one of those marginalized communities that many of us are part of. And yeah. And I think it's also fascinating. I'm thinking, I've been thinking about what you said at the beginning, Kat, of how many, it was like, how many people live? One in five. One in five five people. It's like 20% of the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. And like, what does it mean that we villainize and sort of mark that's a pretty huge percent of the population and so we do that to (laughs) like just if you if you talk about every single bracket of the population that we talk about in our representation series yeah the marginal like the group that is being just thrown under is the majority and that's like yeah like (laughs) what does it mean if we're villainizing the majority of the population that's like a weird question that I, that I've just been ha- I'd had that in my head since you said it. What does it mean if we live with such a high number of our community being unwell? Yeah, that that to me is really interesting. And also, it like we're talking about it. It's coming up, but I'll just like name it as well. There's the whole intersectionality of it as well. Mm-hmm. That so there's those distinctions that compound each other, or sort of, or gender, or gender identity, or sexual orientation. That then like race. That ra- yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And and how those things just like layer on top of each other to make this more funky way of living through an illness and Mm -hmm. a more um more we realize that a lot of times what we call mental illness or like a behavioral disability um is just a your body's normal reaction to a really abnormal situation um something your body and your mind are not equipped to handle when i think of other horror that i've seen and it if we then realize that, oh, may, if someone is behaving in a way that is seen as creepy or dangerous or unsafe or threatening, to then think through the fact that they 
probably experienced something really horrifying themselves, Mm -hmm. that just sort of undoes the whole premise of a villain. So how do we have, how do we have compassion for our villains, especially in the genre of horror? It just, it's something that doesn't really work unless you have a monster or something supernatural, like a demon. Um, But when we talk about humans, like humans can be pretty awful and horrifying. Um, And they don't need a mental illness to do those things. (laughs) They can be pretty awful and horrifying and be perfect in their right state of mind. And just think what they're doing is right, even though it's like the worst thing. Yeah. And and also like to turn that on its head as well. um, Also not a, well, a horrifying movie, but not a horror movie documentary, The Act of Killing. What what's on what's really illustrated there? It's about um, it's a documentary about a um, praised uh, veteran of of in Cambodia who basically led a death squad, mm. and so it's a it's a documentary about present day at the time of the filming, present day like what happens when the when fascists are the victors, okay. and. Basically, this documentarian was having reenactments of this veteran's victories. So basically, just these mass slaughterings were being reenacted. Yikes. And the guy started going into this, like, fugue state. Mm. And what was really being underscored is that the act of killing, both, like, figurative because they were performing it, but also literal, like, he killed all these people is harmful to him. Yeah. The act of taking a life is a harmful act to the self and that also further damages someone so someone may be starting out doing something that they think like oh i have every right to be doing whatever and really they're just they're harming themselves even further which is another fascinating aspect of just violence and (laughs) evil it's it's kind of thinking like the problem that we have with i mean there's lots of it with representation Mm -hmm. here is that we're just kind of putting this blanket statement mm-hmm. over an entire populace right and where each case is very unique and there's different elements to it there's different experiences and and you know traumas and all of that that are are on each individual and to just put this like blanket like all of you are like this right mm-hmm. and it, yeah. it, it that's where the problem lies because mm-hmm. then they're no longer a person they are just like one of those right mm-hmm. which is like an other mm-hmm. and monster and it it really is showing in horror when they use that. Um, so there's always this kind of idea of like if someone is revealed in a film to have some sort of mental illness, you know, immediately that they're going to be bad, right? That, that something's mm-hmm. going to go wrong. Mm-hmm. Like when I remember they used it to gloss over in uh, what was the room? The roommate. Yeah, <laughs> the, the roommate, roommate which is like, ugh. they just like threw it in that she had some mental like they found pills or something that showed that I think she had bipolar disorder and they mm-hmm. were like oh that that explains like that she must be evil like sure <laughs> right yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. or um or like an or example <laughs> an example of how a perpetrator can be a victim as well yes okay yeah, yeah. I'll say I don't see that a lot in horror enough where they they're not create with the there's a villain that has a mental illness they're not creating full characters no. yeah they're creating them as they have this illness and that illness is every part of them mm-hmm. like yeah. they don't have they are a that. story a yeah. backstory much of one at least mm-hmm. it's usually like oh their parents seem a little neglectful. So that's why yeah. nothing good ever happened. Like, yeah. you know, like there's no, you don't actually usually ever get a chance to feel for 
the antagonist. Mm-hmm. And it's, whenever it's, yeah, they have any sort of like mental illness, which is usually not accurately placed upon them in that. It's like they don't even look up the symptoms. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, like, they yeah. just like be like, "You're schizophrenic," and it's like, uh, "What?" It's shorthand, so yeah, like, to become a plot device that they didn't think much about to make things happen. Yeah, yeah. it's like a lazy, yeah. just like it's Whoa. real lazy. Yeah, oh, <laughs> it's very lazy. And you see it so much that it's like you would think they'd be like, "Oh, we've done that," you know. We're okay, have you seen films recently? Have you seen any of the I've remakes? seen all of them in the, <laughs> and, and the same film. story redone over and over and over I again. I guess that's fair. We're not trying to be creative anymore. Yeah, we're done like the whole time. Or opportunity to write a script. Like, take one that does it badly and, like, rewrite it. it so that it actually makes sense. Or you just made our whole YouTube channel. Yeah, that's, like, our entire life. Is that, that's I'll be what the producer. We <laughs> we're here. It'll be great. Yes. Well, it's like, yeah, it's definitely a tired trope to to do that twist right <laughs> i'm looking at twist. you high tension you it in like mm-hmm. yeah okay think about high tension right where it's like we have this whole film that would have been great it's just a slasher it's whatever to be like surprise she was crazy and she's a lesbian and we're like wait what <laughs> hold on pick one thing also both of these are not valid for what you just said it's very problematic the whole thing you just did in five minutes but it often happens where it's just like, mm. surprise, this person was crazy the whole time, yeah. right? Like, you also, should have believed us. Also, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, because that's what, <laughs> that's exactly the end. We're like, oh, the narrator was the crazy one the what? whole time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's It's been done at one of the first films ever. Yep. I think <laughs> we can say it's done now, 2019. Mm-hmm. But it's as we... Fortunately not. It's not, and we're going to dive into... came out this year. Yeah, yeah to, to films that... Ha- so we're talking... <laughs> Uh, Babadook in Midsummer, because we're going to, we just have so many. I th- I like this idea that we're doing one good, one bad, like we used to do sometimes. We get lucky. Yeah. Because it, you know, really helps us feel like motivated to continue on. Okay. Yeah, there's hope. <laughs> was great and i still love it i saw it twice now and i'm like what it's still great everything babadook i've yes. seen this one too <laughs> even though i'm afraid Duke. of it Duke. i saw it in the full daylight did i say it wrong babadook no you did whatever it's babadook. australian you just <laughs> okay well 2014 i think yep uh, directed and written by a lovely lady, mm. Jennifer Kent. Yes, this is her first feature film. Yeah. She did a great job. Yeah, yeah, knocked it out of the park. First yeah. one? Yeah. Dang, right yeah, on. Yeah, right? There's hope for us yet. <laughs> so it is about a widowed mother plagued by a violent death of her husband, battles with her son's fear of a murder lurking in the, or monster, I'm sorry, monster lurking in the house, but soon discovers a sinister presence all around her. Um, and so I guess what we see with the Babadook uh, is that you really have a wonderful representation of the mind's way of processing really gr- extensive trauma. Mm-hmm. Grief. Grief. Loss. Yeah. Depression. Yeah. Postpartum. Like postpartum. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if for someone, this would be a really interesting sort of, as I mean, 
certainly watch it under the supervision of a therapist. <laughs> but um, I'm I'm really curious if there's anyone out there who has lived with postpartum, who has seen this movie and has thoughts about it. Um, I, I have not experienced postpartum, but I know people who have. And I'm just really curious. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Like if it, they feel it's an yeah. accurate representation of those yeah. things. Mm-hmm. Postpartum is used a little bit in hereditary. There's mm-hmm. a few things I didn't say. I'm not going to say it now because it's too yeah. late. We talked too much about it. And like not as a tool for healing, but as a tool to kind of explain to someone else what you're going through. Yeah. Like I think, like I'm thinking of if I had experienced something, I'm thinking, so I, I have dyslexia and I've been in dyslexia simulations and that was true horror for me. I had to run out of the room because it was too effective. I was mm. like, no, I can't. No, thank you. But I thought it was an accurate representation to someone trying to understand what it's like. Yeah. yeah. So. To see if yeah. you... Yeah, if it seems correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, to give some context for the movies, we're going to do some spoiler times as we do. um, But please see this one Mm -hmm. if you haven't. I mean, (laughs) it's from 2014. He had a little bit of time. It used to be on Netflix. It's not anymore. Maybe, like, pause, go watch it. Yeah. And and then then finish this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Because spoilers. Because here it goes. Yeah, but it was really good. Um, So... Amelia is suffering from the grief and cannot fully love and accept her son until she accepts her husband's death. And that's like the theme of the whole yeah. movie. Yeah. Like he died when she he was driving her to mm-hmm. the hospital to give birth to her son. Mm-hmm. So he's dying while she's bringing in new life and mm-hmm. can't properly process that her husband is dead and time to like properly like love and just be like i'm the mother now like it's just like i have to put on these pants and just do the basics of the job but i haven't even really gotten to deal yeah and associates the son and the birth with the loss yeah and like uh like not logically but like mentally blames the son for the death of the dad in many ways, because it's like they wouldn't have been in the car if that fool wasn't being born. Yeah. Like, yeah. And then and you also get like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the little boy is a fantastic actor. He's amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Like, should win awards upon awards. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he's not an easy kid. You know, mm-hmm. you're witnessing their relationship. You're witnessing, like, the way he's processing the trauma. Mm-hmm. And, like, also, like, just, you know, being a little kid and having... Yeah. A mom who is trying, but like you can just tell that the energy isn't there mm-hmm. and that she's really struggling and like he's trying to process that too. This is that all like, he knows. That's all he knows. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know what's going on or if it's normal or if mom is sick or if he's sick, you know, yeah. like there's like all these elements that's like very hard for a small child to process in and of itself. But the way he's dealing with it is ta- only hanging out with his mom. So he kind of has that thing where he talks like an older kid, like yeah. he talks like an adult to other kids and scares them. Yes. <laughs> um, has he, a very active imagination. He wants be, to fight as a child. to protect her because clearly she is... Like, she's... She's his world. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and in, like, need of protection, the father is not there. So, I mean, I guess in some, like, cultural ends, he feels like he needs to protect mom as the man of the house, potentially. Yeah. Um, And, you know, it's just this really 
emotional experience. Yeah, he has a few really good lines in there that really cut to the point. Like he says, like in the he's in the basement playing with his father's items, mm. and his mom gets upset. Like you can't touch those things. Oh yeah. And oh. he at some point, you know, this guy comes over, and the kid is obviously upset, and he essentially says, like, she won't even let me have a dad. And it's not like he wants her to move on and have some new guy. It's like she won't even share with me who he was so that I can also love him. And mourn him. Yeah. Like, that's the thing that, oh, there's so many things this movie gets right. (laughs) Just about grief and loss and development and how kids. So before kids even have the capacity to process these ideas and thoughts, they have to depend on the adults to, like, teach them how to process these things and like there's this thing called mirror neurons and we're wired to behave the way other people behave and expect them to behave the way we behave especially if we're children and the idea being that if if a person smiles a baby will smile and if the baby smiles and you don't smile that baby's gonna get really upset because their brain literally can't handle it because their brain mm-hmm. is saying i'm smiling you're supposed to be smiling what yeah something what? must be real bad if you're not smiling like oh we're in danger, yeah. we're in danger. <laughs> i'm gonna this is not good um and i think we're seeing a kid who this is like seven years into that and so the kid has come up with his own coping mechanisms to mediate that um and is coming up empty a lot of times because his mom won't meet him where he's at um and because like his family is being attacked like verbally and people whispering about his mom when she walks away and the other thing oh my god the other thing this movie gets so right is how critical others are of her timeline Mm -hmm. of healing or lack thereof I I remember that was something that stuck out to me a lot about that movie that there were a lot of sort of um, I guess timelines or kind of benchmarks like I think the kid was going to be starting school he was in school he, he I was think it was like he'd been expelled yeah, maybe been expelled. or yeah. Yeah, he had gone to like kindergarten first grade that's he was turning seven yeah, yeah he was yeah. it was a birthday that's what yeah. it was it was yes. a birthday and like um and all everyone there were so many times when people were saying, like, it's been seven years. Yeah. And it's just sort of like, well, every year is the anniversary of it. Every yeah. year is the, her kid's birthday. Um, and, I'll, and like, there is no set timeline for you to be over something. Yeah. We can be upset by the smallest of things for the rest of our lives. We can be moderately able to cope with the most horrific things in a very quick period of time. It is very different for every person. Yeah. Um, and that was something that I thought this movie got so right of just people being unwilling to accept that this was still really raw and fresh as if it had just happened moments ago for her that, uh, in terms of her reality was just not what anyone was willing to recognize. Yeah. So powerful. (laughs) Yeah. The writing is, is, is amazing. And even just like cinematically, right? Like we're looking at this very drab, almost like Tim Burton-esque home. Like everything mm-hmm. is gray. Everything yeah, looks blue like dusty. And, and she always looks tired and just withered. And she's like in white and is just like, just hating everything. Mm-hmm. And it's just like when you imagine, when you, like when I heard um, like, oh, he died on the way to 
her giving birth, I was just like, so it's, this is this entire kid's existence Mm -hmm. has been this woman who tenses up every time he hugs her, who like is annoyed by his existence as just being a kid. Right. Like there's this interpretation with people who are always just like, when you watch Babadook, it it reminds you not to have kids because Mm -hmm. like they picture this kid as being annoying and he's loud. And he, there's like the meme of like, (laughs) where she's like, why can't you be normal? And then he's just screaming. (laughs) But what you miss out is like right after that scream, he, like totally just snaps and is overwhelmed by his anxiety into the point where he has a seizure right and it's like this doctor being like no he is under a lot of pressure for Mm. some reason what is going on and it's because his like anxieties and his need to protect her has now personified into this literal monster but it's not even just his monster it's her monster that he is trying to fix because he's his like he's the man of the house he's trying to save his mom he keeps warning her he's like do you want to die like he keeps trying to like shake her awake to be Mm. like why are you not Mm. like handling this because i don't understand (laughs) like this is your whole life but there's this the 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 most impactful line in my opinion that really really hits me is at the end uh he has her tied up when she's possessed by the Babadook. Mm-hmm. And he says, I know you don't love me. The Babadook won't let you. But I love you. Right? Mm-hmm. And it's this, this idea that, like, he's like, I know that's not you. Yeah. <laughs> that's, like, been treating me this way. Not just, like, what we've seen on screen, but forever. Mm. He's like, I know that this version of you doesn't love me because it can't. It doesn't know how. But there's a part of you that does. And I'm mm-hmm. going to fight to get it back. I'm going to wait. We're going to, we're in this together. And it's like this. Yeah, like we're a team. It's very hopeful. And it's like very empowering. Like this, the seven year old. Yeah. And he's the hero in men. I think they're the heroes together because it is between the two of them that they figure stuff out and make it work um, and learn how to live with their monster. But like, he he's a really brave kid. And I, and that's another thing that it got really right of the kids of um, parents with, um, unprocessed trauma and often resulting in mental health challenges. The kids become caretakers, not yeah. just of themselves, but of their parents. Um, yeah, it's something that's just, I can identify with for sure of just my mom lived with, and I can, I can, I came from a two parent household. So like, it wasn't like, it was just me and my mom, but I can definitely identify and have memories of just sort of like caretaking can be something as massive as what he's doing of like an intervention of tying her down but it could also be something as small as kind of modulating your own emotions it could be something of sort of saying oh well i'm gonna take my shoes off when i walk into the house because mom probably has a migraine and she's gonna fly off the handle and like she doesn't she's really tired i don't want to bother her and that's they got that so right the other thing that i love oh my god you touched on it of when um in the 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 way we hear the Babadook, mm-hmm. like every just that's exactly how intrusive thoughts work. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the main character's reaction every time she hears it is ex- oh, it's so dead on because like she hears it, but when we think of intrusive thoughts and anxiety, you don't necessarily hear it audibly, but it's the idea that it just it comes at the worst times. <laughs> yeah. It's completely surprising. It never makes sense as to why this thought came on. And her reaction is always so spot on. It's just sort of her face and her reaction just always said in the movie, um, 
Are you serious right now? Yeah. What is happening? Why is, are you serious now? Like this timing is terrible. It's just, oh my God. It, it was very authentic. <laughs> it really <laughs> hit home for me in a lot of ways. Yeah, there was that one part, uh, I guess, uh, when the book comes back after she puts it outside mm-hmm. and is burnt, uh, ripped it up and is very upset. Um, and it comes back and it says, the more you deny, mm-hmm. the stronger, stronger I get. get. And yeah. it's kind of like that idea of like, you go until you can't anymore. You just keep pushing it down and pretending you're okay and this mm-hmm. isn't real or like whatever is like, haunting you like Mm -hmm. whatever memory or like stress is like i just have to put it away it's not it's not going to affect me Mm -hmm. i just need to get through today yeah yeah and that just compounds and compounds and compounds on itself Mm -hmm. and it just gets worse and worse and worse Mm -hmm. if you don't ever even just name it Mm -hmm. yeah you put it all in the basement and you don't look at it it's going to feel really fresh because you're not dealing with it. You're just pretending it's not real mm-hmm. until like you have said, to deal with yeah. it. Yeah. She always said he's not real and, like, don't mention his name and all of that. And it's not until she she does confront it, right, that she – that what is really amazing about this film is that the Babadook isn't defeated. Like, it isn't, like – it's not just like gone right we don't just get cured of this babadook like right what we do is he's in the basement and she's feeding it worms right Mm -hmm. which is like could be an analogy for like medicating Mm -hmm. right like i'm like i'm taking care of it so that it's staying cool and sometimes it snaps at her but it is getting better and that's like what he says like oh but today is better yeah and then someday she can be open with him and he can see it and he can understand it fully but for right now he trusts her and believes that she's taking care of it because she finally acknowledged it and that's where the power came from it's like yes this is real this is happening but i have the power ultimately and i'm in control yes (laughs) agreed yeah it's not over and like we were talking about the thing that um midsummer did wrong about uh the sister of sort of like this isn't it's not it, it's an ongoing, lifelong process of maintenance and mm-hmm. kind of making... She makes friends with it in some... That's sort of what I thought was really cool. Like, we feed things to, to like, sustain them and to yeah. appease them. And sometimes it, it's a chore and sometimes it's an offering and sometimes it's, like, you're sharing a meal. Like, I, I sometimes wonder if she goes down with some ice cream or something. He's like, here's your worms. I'm going to have some ice cream. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, is this... It's not, like, a, a friendship, but it is a conversation. It's a relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of making friends with the icky part inside of her and giving it the attention it deserves, not just the attention that it's demanding, but it really deserves this. It deserves to like have a place in her home and in her kid's life. And yeah, I love that movie. It's really good. (laughs) I mean, I, so you said a lot of stuff that I was like also just very much feeling in terms Mm. of like how the son was dealing with it. Mm -hmm. I was just like, Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. That is what happens. Like when you live in a house with like a parent who is going through, Things like this mm-hmm. and you, f- from speaking from my own experience, just feeling like you have to accommodate, accommodate or one, just like you have to protect them. You yeah. have to alter your behavior so that they will hopefully 
feel like they can help themselves. Or like, you know, you don't want to add to that. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be a contributor. Everyone else is like stomping her down. So like, I can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. I have to be the one person who doesn't because we're a team. Yeah. And it's like, there's the beautiful end of that. And there's like the mildly like can be toxic Mm -hmm. end of that. And they're, there's just so many ways to look mm. at it. Yeah. But it's just like, it's very real that like as a kid, the mirroring, like mm-hmm. I was just like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's like, you want to make sure that like you're a part of this and like making sure they're okay and like acknowledging that they can get better. So the whole mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Whole, yeah. And it was like. I love this movie. <laughs> yeah. Like it, 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 I think it was, you know, in Midsummer, Danny is the Samuel to Terry's Amelia, which is the mom's name, right? Like she was the person who was trying to take care of her and protect her and was like aware of any of her triggers or what did you call it? Just, it triggers, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, That she's aware of those things. And and that's why she was also taught in like in, in in high strung because she's always under that pressure. So whereas with this kid, they got to kind of, alleviate that together and conquer that together as a team danny never really got that Mm -hmm. so she was kind of like left alone having felt like a failure because she was the one light for terry Mm -hmm. and she failed everyone and we never really got that (laughs) Mm. she was literally just this anxiety puddle who (laughs) had to find solace in this cult as opposed to being like you're a real person who suffered a lot of trauma and you needed support just like you have always been the support or you're gonna crumble and it was kind of like not done properly (laughs) this one does it great and it continued the cycle of Violence, yeah. Like her boyfriend was was doing emotional violence to her, and so she did physical violence to mm-hmm. him. It became like retribution and like a revenge situation, which is not healing necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> like again, culturally, cultural context. Um, but it is we do know that the act of killing another person is psychologically harmful to the person doing the killing. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so she, she did not heal at the end of that. She harmed was... herself in a new way. <laughs> yeah, she's, now she's in a cult. Yeah. yeah. Brand new way of her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is really great. Um, so uh, just to point out a lot of the information we got for Babadook was from Spencer, who's a contributor for the artifice, which is a website. Um, and you know, he really just talks about like essentially everything that we said. Um, and I do like that in this film, her being like mentally ill was, didn't make her a villain at all. Yeah. She was yeah. a protagonist. And they never call, give her a diagnosis. Yeah. There's never a moment when they're like, you're depressed or yeah. you haven't dealt with your grief. It's just sort of obvious from the way the story is told. Um, and like the other thing, this is like the one thing I just remembered that again, I didn't see Midsommar, but I really loved the other implications of it that like there's other dangers lurking because of the Babadook, mainly that her son's being suspended mm-hmm. and her son might be taken from her yeah. by uh, like child protective services. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. like those are real horrors in people's lives. And I thought it did an incredible job of like, that's a good example of mental health being symbolic of other real world things yeah. or of mental health filling in for like all these other sort of the cascade effect of people not 
understanding or creating spaces for healing, like the result is further punitive action. The result is you're going to be suspended or the result is your child's going to be taken from you. And those things just, again, sort of further the circle of harm. Yeah. Or the sister stopped talking and the, the cops just laughed her off when she asked for help. Like, and that's a, a thing that happens as well. Yeah, I think it's a, a great highlight of, like, how important it is to teach empathy yeah. <laughs> to mm. children at a very young age. Just because you just, when it's not instilled yeah. <laughs> kind of universally, you get this like, just really profound lack of understanding. Yeah. And just because it's not something you have directly experienced. That, like, if a character who is around her is only witnessing loss from another person that like it's just highlighted throughout like her them not understanding what that meant like for her and how like grief can be different for everyone and like how you process things as you said does not have a timeline and if you don't have the empathy to try to understand it that it's just like very difficult to create those spaces Mm -hmm. Like and very easy to villainize. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just like, that's how you have movies like yeah. Midsummer. Hey. And that like, we just don't have a lot of understanding about things that are not personal to ourselves. That's how we have people who villainize people of color and like immigration and all mm-hmm. sorts of, it's just like mm-hmm. choosing to not understand the other, any other human being other than yourself. Yeah. Or just not having the capacity to because you haven't lived in spaces that have allowed that. Or to do it safely because sometimes acknowledging that then real leads to a lot of guilt and shame because one might realize, oh, I've been a perpetrator. Yeah. And that's like pr- more often true. Yeah. I, and I, I can identify that of like learning about all these things and really regretting a lot of decisions I made as an educator and like not realizing I was probably harming some kids. Yeah, because of the lack of trauma-informed practices. Exactly. Christian, and if it's good, because the boyfriend in Midsummer's name is Christian, and he was just real rude. He's very bad in all aspects. Yeah. And then if it was good, Samuel, because he was the best son ever. He was such a good boy. Uh, so for the topic of uh, how mental illness is used in horror movies overall not just not our <laughs> films right now just overall in the history of time uh is it a christian or samuel for you guys christian, christian. yeah i haven't even seen the movie and yeah. i think it's christian yeah <laughs> yeah like you just believe us he's bad mm. it's uh yeah it's definitely a christian on that <laughs> uh, well i mean kind of like in the way that you know in his historically mm-hmm. there have been some christian practices that have been bad for those with mental illness just also we did yep. a whole episode on exorcisms but oh, yeah. uh, besides that just like yeah we've i mean 
again, there's an entire article on how American Horror Story has been doing this for a long time and everyone keeps talking them up, but it's, yes. it's historical. Like if there's a, someone who is diagnosed on screen in a horror movie, you know what role they're going to play. And it's going it, to, it, the fact it's an excuse, it's trash. Yeah. And I, I, I'm not going to speak to my mom's experience, but this is something that she has said to me in that. She was so scared to tell other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's terrified. Like, she's like, they're going to think I'm crazy or they're going to not want to like, like, it's a deal breaker, you know? And yeah. it's just like, wow. In like some ways it's like, yes, it's a commitment, but it's just like, just these films just continue to make her and others feel that way and that just upsets me on such a fundamental level yeah just because in defense of her but then also like for my own things where it's just like not like it's rude that like my biggest fear (laughs) is having some of those issues Mm -hmm. because of one how i've seen her struggle just like having to like deal with that and like her life and because of this, like, yeah. that, like, it has been so vilified culturally that it's just, like, terrifying mm-hmm. yeah. to even like accept that. that I could have segments mm-hmm. of that disorder. And it's like, yeah, I do. Like, but yeah. I just deal with, like, you know, you have to deal with it and hope the world gets better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, and yeah, it better. seems like the end mm-hmm. of the world if you're diagnosed with something like that. Like, it makes me think of... Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, where she's finally diagnosed with... Beautiful show. It's such a great show. It Mm -hmm. does really great with mental illness. But she gets diagnosed with, I think, borderline personality disorder. Yeah. And it's... She has, like, a... She's, like, there's no way. And she, like, Googles it. And she has, like, this whole idea and personification of herself. And then the therapist is, like, it's not that at all. And we we can work with this. Like, this is something we can deal with. Now and that we've the, named it, we can <laughs> yeah, work we can, on Now it. we know what to do. Yeah. Now we know the steps. And it, like, that was, like, such a great moment in TV that I was, like, I want this all the time. <laughs> and I, it, you know, it's either, like, they're, they're monsterized on TV. I'm, I feel like I made up that word, but that's what it is. So yeah. I think there's a lot of room to grow. So w- about the film. Samuel for Babadook. All yes. the way. Sam, yeah. Sam all the way. For this Babadook. Such a good son. Even if he starts out a little annoying, it's just like, you're just a kid. Yeah, he was just a mm-hmm. boy. Yeah. And like, so much is happening to you and you're just processing it. And like, people need to learn to forgive <laughs> yeah. characters mm-hmm. who are just going through things. Yeah. Like, and then like, that's okay. And like, they, maybe they'll be different later. Mm-hmm. He did really well considering the fact that his mother has been like that his entire life. Yeah. Like he could have he could have come out like aggressive. Mm-hmm. He could have been like angry and abusive to her because he could have lashed out. Like there could have been other alternatives. Or he could have just been really sad. But yeah. he was like Or might have been if we saw him as like a fourteen year old instead yeah. of a seven year old. Yeah. Like the longer that goes on, the greater the harm. So Yeah. But um thank you so much marina for joining us my brain is like oh my god there's so much information i love it so much yeah and i feel so like much. we have to cover this again one day yeah that's like, you can come back. i can come back yeah. yes yes patreon we haven't talked about it in a minute but we can have a whole separate thing with hey. marina yes wait what yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, can i leave this basement <laughs> no, 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 no
listeners, if you have questions or you just want to praise Marina for her amazing brain mm-hmm. and her big heart, then please uh, email us at theghoulsnextdoor@gmail.com. Thank you again so much. This has been very enlightening. Hey. I feel like you. De- I was totally worried that I was just going to be like red hot, raving mess. Mm-hmm. And you were like, yeah, this is valid. But then also here's some history. I was like, oh, my God, I forgot about history. <laughs> history is the coolest. History? Yeah. So thank you for knowing Kat. <laughs> yeah you're welcome for knowing cat <laughs> <laughs> we both know me hey, <laughs> yeah i'm the peanut butter to this great sandwich friendship Ooh. that was a weird it thing was good it kept going too friendship well uh cat don't get married delete, delete your kids, kids.